Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to the late-breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is the late-breaking F1 podcast. My name's Ben Hocking. Today in Formula One, we witnessed an astonishing crash, unlike anything we've seen in the sport for a long, long time. The contact itself was astonishing, the response from the medical crew, astonishing, and the fact that Roman Grosjean has walked away with his life, again, astonishing. People are calling it a miracle that Grosjean is still with us, and understandably so, but I'm of the opinion that putting it down to just a miracle uh, and nothing else does a disservice to those who have advanced safety to the point where this outcome is even possible in the first place. Uh, And with this in mind, everything that's happened today I'd like to start the podcast by just saying thank you. Thank you to anyone and everyone who has put a, who has had a part to play in bringing safety to this point. Uh, To those who started the process decades ago, we say thank you to you. To those who continued the discussion despite fallout from sponsors and circuits, we say thank you to you as well. To those who designed the Halo safety device and to those who helped implement it, again, thank you to you. Dr. Ian Roberts, Alan van der Merve, we say thank you for your service out there today. And to every single marshal from across the globe, thank you as well. Safety will forever be a process that does not have a finishing line, but there is always more that can be done. And it's important that we learn from this. But for now, all we can do is express our gratitude to these people and to be thankful that Roman Grosjean can still be with us um, and he can still be with his, his wife and children um, a warm welcome to Harry Eid and Sam Sage. An afternoon that was pretty much like no other, guys. Oh my good lord! Um, talk about moments that you you watch, that you experience. I, it's strange. I I didn't really understand what I was feeling watching it, and of course, above all now is relief and gratitude that we watch Roman Grosjean somehow have the ability to unbuckle himself from that car and jump over that fe- uh, that fence, that rail with possible broken ribs, burnt feet, burnt hands. It was spectacular in a way that Formula One shouldn't be. But, I mean, thankfully, the befitting named Halo um, came to the rescue, really, didn't it? For those that have slandered the technical advancements that we've had and the look of that Halo, that has undoubtedly saved a man's life today. That is the, the, the kind of the cherry on top that made sure that he was going to make it through that barrier and still be okay. The fact that they showed images of that, that monocoque, that, you know, what they call like, was it the, the, the crash cell, the safety cell um, of the Formula One car afterwards. And the back end is ripped off from six feet away. The front wing is obliterated. But there, where Grosjean is sitting, the seat, the cockpit, the halo is in one solid piece. And it's actually just the impact itself that's possibly broken uh, Grosjean's ribs. And the fact that he is going to be able to speak to his wife and his children after what was one of the most shocking impacts I've ever seen in Formula One is just wonderful. I would not be shocked. I would not blame him if he calls up Haas 
in a couple of days' time and goes, that's it. Thank you. I've had my fun. I was only two races away anyway, but I'm all right now. I'll, I'll leave it there because what a hero. What a hero everyone involved was. It was brilliant to see Formula One come together. Um, we do race as one, which is nice to see. Uh, his life is it's amazing. It was absolutely incredible to see that he got out of there alive. I am flabbergasted, quite emotional. I went through a period where I was quite emotional after all that. Yeah, I mean, uh, stunned. Uh, I'm still a bit stunned now that that, it, that he walked out of it. And uh, there are so many factors within that crash, you know, so many uh, different things that could have a, seriously harmed him more than he was, you know, he's only got minor injuries, thankfully, uh, and B, that could have killed him. Yeah, And yet, you know, he's had neither of those things happen to him, thank God. Um, yeah, just so peculiar, strange, extraordinary, um, spectacular, as Sam said, in the wrong way. Um, but yeah, just just grateful that old Romy G, as we like to call him, did walk away from it. And yeah, Sam, I'm totally with you. If I would, I don't think anyone would begrudge Roman at all if he this week phoned up Gunther and was like, you know what, I'm done here. <laughs> I've, I'm not <laughs> going to do that again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone would would blame him at all. And uh, yeah, and just you know, thank thank you to all all the medical all the medical teams that are on you know the medical medical car that got there you know within seconds. That's what it's there for for bloody Doctor Ian Roberts to running towards a fire. Like how many people do that? Not many. Um, and then obviously all the work that's done over the years for the people that are, you know, you know, Sid Watkins, Jackie Stewart, uh, Charlie Whiting, etc. All the people that have done those that work over the years to make F1 safer because, you know, even, you know, pre-2018, if that had been a 2017 car with no halo, I think maybe Grosjean wouldn't be here. So, yeah, thank, thank you to all of them. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, it's slightly ironic actually because I was um, I was listening to the Beyond the Grid podcast a few days ago, uh, and it was Jochen Mass who was the guest. Jochen Mass won a Grand Prix in the nineteen seventies, raced in the seventies and eighties, um, and he had a he had a pretty similar. Or the incident itself wasn't similar, but he had a pretty similar situation in that he was at the time in an underperforming car, um, and he was involved in a pretty horrific incident uh, in France. Uh, and he decided, even though he kept racing after that in other forms of motorsport, that was his last Formula One race because the team itself wasn't in a strong enough position that he believed it warranted him coming back to the team, um, which you could argue is a similar position to maybe what Grosjean feels he's in now. Uh, of course, safety is far more advanced today than it is back then. And those sorts of incidents that we've seen from Roman Grosjean, you would hope, um, you know, are more far and few between so um but yeah interesting that maybe there's uh there's parallels in there, those two situations we're going to be having a look at the race obviously itself after the events unfolded there um racing point no points whatsoever from this grand prix after it looked like sergio perez was on course for a podium uh until car issues were just a few laps to go alex alban the beneficiary there picking up his second career podium valtteri bottas Debris meant that he had an early pit stop and a fight back from P16 up into P9. We'll be discussing whether he did enough. Driver of the day, worst driver of the day, uh, and a bit on Danny Kvyat as well. Obviously, he was involved in the Grosjean incident, but he was also involved in another incident a little bit later on that cost him uh, a 10 seconds in the way of a penalty when Lance Stroll was flipped Uh the car was flipped over in that incident. So we will start, though, with, with Roman Grosjean, just to touch on that uh, a, a little bit more. Um, you know, Sam, do you think that we've seen this year with um, with coronavirus and how the F1 teams came together to tackle that? We've had another incident here. Uh, do you think this just shows, even with the politics that happens on a daily basis, teams disagreeing with one another, that when push comes to shove, the teams will band together and that they are, they do race as one. I mean, what what more evidence do you need than to watch the first kind of half an hour of um, the race broadcast today? The the tears from people that were in separate garages, not part of the Haas garage. You know, we saw tears from McLaren, we saw tears in Racing Point. I'm sure there were tears elsewhere at that a sudden realization that a beloved member of the paddock, whether that be you know for future reference, driver, steward, marshal, you know, safety car 
driver. It could be anyone, you know, but Roman Grosjean is, is beloved. Um, and the fact that there was an opportunity to have lost him there shows that, you know what, when it comes to someone's life, when it comes to ensuring that we get to enjoy this sport, this spectacle that gets put on for us every single year safely, whether we know that these guys are going to make it home to their families, that they will do anything they can. And I think that's clear. You know, there we saw people, you know, Hamilton at one moment reacting. And then we saw members in the background who's, who unfortunately I can't name, you know, because they're part of pit crews and things like that, reacting exactly the same way. And this is one of those moments that regardless of where you are public, publicly, regardless of who you are on a team, I'm sure at any moment you would have been the first person to raise your hand to help Grosjean if you had the ability to do so. And that does show that, I think all Formula One teams and all members of those teams are within this sport together. And the moment it endangers anyone to that point where it's shocking, where it's it's life-threatening, they, they do come together. They stick together. And that's what we love to see is the fact that, you know what, at the end of the day, we're all in it for the right reasons. And it was good to see that. I mean, you shouldn't have to see that to prove it. But when, it, when push came to shove, we did see it. And it was the right thing to see. Um, so I'm really proud of the entire F1 paddock, F1 grid. We, even the FIA, when they came out to check those barriers, it felt like they gave enough time. They checked everything properly. There were the correct checks given. The, the, the way the bloody marshals sprinted in there, better without any safety gear, you know, and they were stood about four or five feet away from this inferno on a track with batteries that could have exploded at any moment. It makes you appreciate what these people give. Remember that those, those, those stewards on the, on the side, sorry, the marshals on the side of that track, they're just volunteers. They get no payment out of this. They do it because they love our sport and they want the sport to go ahead. And I think it says so, so much about how willing and committed every single person on that track week in, week out is to making this sport the spectacle it is. And for those that don't call motorsport a sport, those that don't recognise it, have another look at what just happened today because you'd be silly to think that ridiculous opinion in 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 my thoughts. You just, it's breathtaking. So yeah, did be proud today in a horrible situation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's really tough to to come up with words to describe the situation that that we saw out there. Um, and we've actually spoken quite a bit on safety over the last few weeks because there have been a few incidents, um, a few questionable incidents that we've seen, particularly in Istanbul. And even after what happened today, we saw uh, a marshal later on in the Grand Prix when, when Perez uh, went out to the side of the track. We saw a marshal go across the track, not... Not long after, uh, not long before, sorry, Norris went by. Do you think, Harry, this means that even though it is wonderful that Grosjean has survived this incident, that it's just a stark reminder that we still have to continually strive to to proceed? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You, you know, we, as you said, we've had a few incidents this year, but I think the 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 Grosjean incident and the way that it was dealt with. Uh, and the way that he was able to get out of the car, I mean, thankfully, but um, I think that all the procedures that are in place do work uh, uh, in terms of the safety on the car, safety in the barriers, although I know he went through the barrier, and also having the medical car there as well, and the way that the marshals are posi- positioned on the track. Um, but yeah, again, the, the marshal running across the track at the end of the race, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it can still easily go so wrong. Uh, as we've seen today, or, or on two occasions almost. So, um, yeah, you know, and yeah, the the FIA have had some issues this year, but I think you know, I, I would, I'd hope we could call them freak because to, you know, have days like today where it goes horribly wrong, and the driver can still walk away from it, which is you know what all those procedures are there for. So, um, yeah, you know, the I I don't doubt that the 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 you know continual uh, pursuit of safety or further safety in F one, but well, it will still continue for, for sure. Yeah, yeah, such a such a chilling incident, and and so much that that could have gone wrong. Um, uh, when I say gone wrong, I mean beyond what already went wrong in, in terms of the Grosjean incident. You know, uh, the fact that he was able to get out of that fire as as quickly as he did, the fact that he wasn't knocked unconscious by the initial impact, meaning again he wasn't in that fire for longer than he needed to be. The you know the the response time from from everyone around him. 
Uh, there were so many things that could have gone wrong that could have led to a much worse outcome. Um, current status is that you know, Grosjean has been taken away to hospital, but uh, injuries are relatively minor considering all, considering the incident itself. Um, looks like you know, broken ribs, uh, minor burns as well to the hands. But yeah, I'll just leave this segment by saying you know we wish all the best for for Roman Grosjean in his recovery in the coming weeks, and and we're so thankful that. We can still talk about him in the present rather than the past. So um, moving on to the race itself, because there's a 45-minute delay um, restart, standing restart um, later on. Racing point. Lance Stroll didn't have a very long time in the race at all, but Sergio Perez did have quite a substantial amount of time in the race. He was P3 for pretty much the entire Grand Prix uh, until just a few laps from the end. His his engine went, no, no, not today, uh, meaning he didn't get back-to-back podiums for the first time in his career, which would have been the case. Sam, do you think that Racing Point's challenge for P3 is now over considering McLaren's fourth and fifth points all today? Firstly, I just want to say how devastated I am for Sergio Perez. Um, the man has done everything he could do to prove that he deserves a drive for next season. And the fact that it's currently looking like he's, one, not going to get a drive, which is gutting for one of what well, I think one of the best drivers on the grid at the moment. And two, the fact that he couldn't even get that little bit of glory to his name uh, right at the end of his possibly his final season in Formula One. Um, a back-to-back podium would have been so well-deserved. He drove so well all race. He got a great start, you know, the first time around, gets in front of Bottas, who was struggling, holds off um, the rest of the guys behind him. Then on the second, uh, obviously, standing start, again, does a great job, right up behind Verstappen, holds on nicely, um, which is great to see. And the guy is just working that craft brilliantly. And that engine failure was so, so, so horrible to watch. I mean, it could have happened to anyone, but I think Perez might have been the person that deserves it least if you could deserve an engine failure because he deserves a little bit of goodness to come his way in his last season. Um, but has this taken Racing Point away from third place? Two races to go. The form of Norris and Sainz is getting better and better every single race, it feels like. And it feels like for some reason, Racing Point, even with their 2019 Mercedes build, aren't able to maximise the car in the same way that Mercedes themselves are. The engine doesn't seem to be carrying them the same power. Um, McLaren are able to use that Renault power to a, a good strength and are good around power tracks. And unfortunately for Racing Point, the last two races, definitely with the secure outer loop, is, is a power track. It's downright down to power. Now, Sergio Perez, I think, will probably be fingers crossed that he'll have to have a new engine and that won't fail for him in the last few races. And you never know. The same thing could happen to Sykes and Norris or one or the other. And Stroll, of course, who ended up upside down. He was just hanging out um, at turn eight. He definitely could score himself some points. And Stroll has come on leaps and bounds this season as well. So I wouldn't rule them out entirely. I'm not going to say it's game over, but it is definitely, you know, 45-30 to McLaren with um, match point going their way. And I think one thing goes wrong for Racing Point in the next race, then it's game over. What do you reckon, Harry? Do you think that fight for third is over? Um, it's not over. Uh, you know, it's never over. Until you, if you learn anything from F1, it's never over until that you know, final corner of the final lap of the final race of the season. Um, but it's definitely more difficult for, for Racing Point, that is for sure. And... Yeah, McLaren uh, are on strong form, it seems, around Bahrain. I think they were, you know, they missed themselves. They were disappointed about their qualifying positions yesterday. They didn't think it reflected um, reflected where they truly were on pace. And they were much stronger than the race. That being said, they weren't strong, as strong as Perez was. Um, but yeah, it's going to be much more difficult for, for Racing Point now to, to regain third. Um, but, you know, I'm not going not gonna to rule them out of this. Um, uh, yeah, and just to echo what Sam said, I feel really <laughs> so bad for Checo. I mean, he was, you know, up there with driver of the day, which we'll get on to. But um, yeah, he he deserved that podium, that last spot. And for God's sakes, I almost got another podium prediction right. <laughs> God damn you, Mercedes engine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I, yes, like I said, echo what Sam said there. It's cru- cruel luck, but... um. It's gonna, yeah, and it's gonna be difficult for them to come back for it. But I won't, you know, one hundred percent say that it's impossible for them to do because we know that's not true in F one. 
honestly, a Mercedes power unit spoiling things yet again. It's just been the tale of this hybrid era, hasn't it? The the awfulness of that. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think Racing Point's challenge is quite over yet. This is a massive dent, though. You know, seventeen points between themselves and McLaren, and with two Grand Prix to go, you know, uh, an average of of eight and a half point swing each race. I mean, that that's perfectly achievable. But this does make it very difficult. And just a side note as well, and this could very well be the, the difference at the end of this season. One seven one for McLaren plays one five four for Racing Point. That seventeen point gap becomes two points if you take away the fifteen point deduction that Racing Point got for uh, for the uh, Mercedes debacle. So there is that <laughs> to bear in mind. Regardless. Sergio Perez, I'll echo what you said there. So unlucky not to get back-to-back podiums. And we we often see with midfield, quote-unquote midfield podiums, that they, they get their way as a, as a result of luck. But honestly, Perez drove the perfect race out there. There was never any doubt in him staying ahead of Alex Albon in the Red Bull. I mean, I think at best or at worst, depending on what stance you're looking at it, I think it was about three seconds between Albon and Perez. But generally speaking, that gap was closer to about six, seven seconds for the majority of the Grand Prix. Perez seemed very, very comfortable. Did he take advantage of Bottas, uh, you know, the debris that he picked up early on? Sure, but someone had to be there to do so. Perez had a wonderful race. Um, this again goes back to the point that we made in Turkey. This doesn't prove that Perez should have a spot on the grid. It's just a little, little bit extra that, you know, he's already given more than enough evidence to suggest he should be on the grid. This is just another little bit to throw in there as well. Um, in terms of, you know, McLaren did very well out there. You know, Lando Norris drove a superb race. He was solid from start to finish. Carlos Sainz, considering where he started, he did a great job. Racing Point definitely would have put this out and uh, would have suspected that this race could have been not a clincher for them getting third in the championship, but this would have been a massive step for them because judging on their pace in practice, they had a slight edge over McLaren. Considering what happened to Carlos Sainz, that's a little bit of extra misfortune for McLaren that should have been fortune for Racing Point that they couldn't take advantage of because one of their cars was also out in Q2 on Saturday. Um, And then in the race, obviously, Sainz does a great job. Norris does a great job. And even though Sergio Perez is there by himself, fighting alone, essentially, this is a a massive dent in in what they will hope would be a P3 season for them. Uh, And, you know, Ferrari, I think we all suspected that their performance in these next few races is not going to be strong enough to feature. And that proved itself to be true out there today. Uh, but Renault, who will probably be a bit disappointed, they're 10 points further back again from Racing Point. And I find it beautifully ironic almost that McLaren and Renault and Racing Point, they spend hundreds of millions of pounds on putting together the best Formula One solution they possibly can. And ultimately, these championship positions so often don't come down to those millions that they try and spend against each other in an arms race they come down to minor strategic decisions that we see in grand prix renault did an awful job of managing their drivers when they were in direct battle with the mclarens out there and it's likely that that will cost them at least a chance of getting p3 in the championship rather than anything else relating to finance. But yeah, that's uh, it looks like Renault are out of it as well. So I think there is still a chance Racing Point can get P3, but they've made it much more difficult for themselves today. And to focus on Alex Albon, who was the beneficiary of um, of Perez retiring, he, he, elevate, he got elevated to P3, his second podium of the season, second podium of his career. What did you make of Albon's weekend, Harry? Because we often speak about how he should be the backup to Max Verstappen. And technically speaking, that's what he did out there today. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, this is going to be the nice segment, I think, of the Alex Albon chat. Because I'm going first. Um, <laughs> and we have, <laughs> <laughs> have Mr. Sam Sage next. Uh, just a one Albon fans. This will be the nicest bit. Um yeah, I mean, technically, if you put it like that, Ben, uh, you know, he did kind of do the job he was supposed to, but he was gifted that podium by that pesky Mercedes engine going bang on the, you know, with two laps to go. Um, and he never, he never, he was close to Perez most of the race, but again, he wasn't, he wasn't there backing up Verstappen. Uh, and he, and he, you know, 
he was nowhere near Verstappen's pace. It was he was not close enough to 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 Verstappen to to be a threat to Hamilton, which is what Verstappen needs if he needs to take on Hamilton. He needs a he's normally the one being attacked by two Mercedes. I mean, today wasn't that case because Bottas had issues. Um, but normally he is. He needs it the other way around, where he's got a Red Bull teammate that can at least help him tackle Hamilton because he's struggling to do it on his own. He's given it a bloody good go, but it, he's not quite able to do it on his own. So, uh, yeah, it, it, if the finishing positions perhaps make it look better for Albon than than it actually was, um, you know, his he did, I, I, I get the point he did bounce back after his crash in FB2, but that was of his own doing and he was still miles behind, you know, Verstappen in terms of time. Uh, in quali, um, yeah, and he he wouldn't have ended up on the podium had it not been for Perez. So, I you know I think he's probably now done enough to keep his seat next year, but he's got to got to do more because it won't be enough. A race like that today won't be enough to keep his seat past twenty twenty one. I don't think. And now Albon fans, you need to turn off because, as I said, that was nice. Yes, thank you for doing that announcement for me. We save save my breath. Um, Sam, <laughs> go. So we all know that Mercedes is the fastest car. Yeah, we can all agree on that universally. And we all know no. that Red Bull. No. Oh, all right. No. Well, that's throwing my segment to... out the window. Williams. Um, okay. <laughs> in, in the rest of late breaking, Williams is fastest. But for us saying F1 fans out there, folks, we know that Mercedes is the top of the pile. And Red Bull, you know, Arguably the second best car, yeah. Verstappen is only what now eleven points off of second place Bottas in the Got Drivers Championship, and um, was the closest man by any means to Lewis Hamilton. If you uh, remove that extra pit stop that Verstappen did to try and claim the fastest lap of the race, um, there was about five seconds between uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton today, and arguably that Mercedes is much faster than the Red Bull as well. So Hamilton, with all his prowess, fantastic. He won the race. He did what he needs to do. Verstappen. Again, fantastic drive from Verstappen. He does everything he can physically do to get the, the best performance out of that car. Now, we've had the debate all season long, really. It feels like it, from at least race four or five, of who takes that secondary seat. And the name Sergio Perez has pretty much been the, the running favourite for that, that seat uh, alongside Albon. And if you wanted a visualisation on track of why you were to take Perez over Albon in this situation, you couldn't have had a better example today on track. The fact that Verstappen is, say, on the start-finish line, and you're going to trace back in terms of time, and, you know, 30 seconds back, in a car that is significantly weaker than the Red Bull, is not Alexander Albon, it's Sergio Perez. Sergio Perez is leading the other Red Bull by a few seconds again. So Albon is a full pit stop and a bit behind, with a car in between. So if it's not Valtteri Bottas, it's now Sergio Perez. Sergio Perez is doing a better job at being Max Verstappen's teammate while not being in the Red Bull team. He's able to elevate a car that is not good enough to be fighting on the podium, while Albon is not able to get there. Albon lucked into the podium. Albon did the absolute minimum that he needed to do today. And if Bottas was was not the unlucky man that he was, I think that, you know, there'll be no podium for Albon today. I think that Albon would have been sat maybe in fifth place, uh, trailing Perez around, um, and Bottas would have comfortably on the back of the Stappen, if not you know, Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas. And then it would have been Bottas that picked up second and um, a third, sorry, and Verstappen that gets second. And I just think that there's a lot of things that make Albon look good at the moment. The same happened in Turkey. Max Verstappen had a bad race. He's still finished in front of Albon and it made Albon look good on the overall standings. You'll look back at the standings in history and you'll go, Albon was only one place behind Verstappen here. The same will happen here today. Albon was only one place behind Verstappen here as well. Again, it was luck. He was not in the best place he needed to be. He should have already been in front of Perez. He should be backing his teammate up no more than five, six seconds behind his teammate. The same gap to Verstappen as what Verstappen has to Hamilton. The Red Bull is clearly capable of being that close to the Mercedes. And the fact that Albon was almost a minute away from Hamilton before that final safety car came out is not good enough. He will get that seat for next year because it is the easy option for Red Bull. There's no faff about it. They haven't got to change their drivers around. It makes their reputation look better. It keeps their young driver program in the right place where it needs to be because it is not in a healthy spot at the moment. 
Perez is the biggest loser out of all this, and unfairly so in my opinion. Albon has not showed the performances this season. He needs to have that drive. I hope he can turn it around next season. Otherwise, it will look like a massive mistake from Red Bull's part. Um, for me, this was sheer luck. Sheer luck. He is doing the absolute minimum what that Red Bull should be. Um, and he should be much, much better and much, much closer. It's It was not good enough for me at all this weekend. Yeah, that one is expected. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, I'm not really going to help matters either. Because um, I think there have been races this season, perhaps, where Albon has looked terrible, but hasn't actually performed at a terrible you know, a, a terrible level. I think this was the opposite in that, yeah, I kind of agree with what Sam's saying here. Albon was made to look pretty good out there when, in fact, actually, the way in which the race unfolded, actually, uh, yeah, it, it didn't end up as as it really should have done. So qualifying, to take qualifying first of all, of course, there were one, there was just, you know, one position between Verstappen and Albon at the start. They shared, they shared the second row of the grid. But ultimately, there were six tenths of a second, which around Bahrain, and we saw this quite a lot, particularly in practice, but also in qualifying in the race, there isn't actually a huge amount of opportunities to gain a huge advantage over your teammate. We see it some circuits where you know a driver will come in and be half a second, six tenths faster than the other, and that might be replicated up and down the grid. At Bahrain, we, see a, we saw a lot of incidents, like Ricardo and Ocon, separated by two thousandths of a second. The Ferrari guys in qualifying and in practice could barely be separated by anything. And we saw that with other teams as well. So six tenths at some circuits might be just about okay. Here, it's too much of a gap. And I know Red Bull have set kind of internal three tenths guideline for Alex Albon. So he's essentially, he's doubling that. And if you were to look at it in the race as well, if you were to convert that six tenths, uh, sorry, that three tenths goal that, that they want Albon to be in within of Max Verstappen, realistically, Albon should be finishing about 19 seconds or so behind Max Verstappen. That's three tenths replicated every single lap. That's not, it's not including the safety car laps as well, which actually help him out in that respect. Ultimately, after 44 laps of this 57-lap race, Albon was 30 seconds behind, which means, actually, he's averaging very close to what he did in qualifying, which was about six or seven tenths behind Verstappen each and every lap, which is is too much. Yes, he was there to take advantage of Sergio Perez's incident, and ultimately, that's what you have to do when opportunities present themselves is take them. But here's the problem. They need Albon to be the rear gunner for Verstappen, but there's two prongs to that. There's two different things that he needs to cover. Firstly, there's position that he needs to cover, which obviously directly relates to points. When Max Verstappen is P3, they need Albon to be P4 or P5. You know, let's just say that as an example, which I know there was Perez in the middle of them, but he's he's almost covered that today. But the problem is that's only one element. The other element is time, because time relates to strategy, even if it doesn't relate to position itself. So we saw that Albon was in no strategic bother to Hamilton whatsoever because of how far away he was, even though he was only a couple of positions behind. Time relates to strategy. What does strategy relate to? Strategy relates to points. So you need to cover both of them off, which Albon isn't doing. Sometimes he's covering the position element of it off, but he's very rarely covering the time element of it off. So I don't think it was a brilliant race out there. I've actually, I actually think there have been better races he's done this year where he's finished P5. Should we move on to driver of the day? Sam, who have you got? Um, there's quite a few examples. Now, I know that the, the, the world gave it to Roman Grosjean, and Roman Grosjean is very much in my thoughts, um, as with as is his family at the moment, um, for a swift recovery, and that there's no complications or anything like that. I'm not going to give it to Roman Grosjean, because there was a rest of the race that we got to see. But I just wanted to make that point first, that um, I'm, I'm not doing it to be some heartless monster, like I usually am to the other drivers on the grid. Um <laughs> I think that um, Perez, definitely worthy of a mention. Fantastic drive from start to finish from Sergio Perez. Hamilton did a great job. Time management, kept it clean, did exactly what he needed to do. Uh, what you'd expect from a seven-time world champion at this point. Verstappen as well. Really, really great race. Really strong. He, he really tried to take it to the Mercedes, and I can't take anything away from him for, for giving it a go. Um, I'm going to mix it up between the, um, the two McLaren boys, actually, today. I'm going I'm to give it to Sainz. Science came back from 15th place on the grid. 
to finish in fifth place. He got through a lot of carnage. His strategy was well worked. Made some great overtakes happen when he needed to as well. Um, and uh, Norris also had a great drive. Uh, I'm just for the simple fact that Science had to do it, just like that bit more. Uh, I'm going to give it to Science, but I do think there were a lot of really, really strong performances up and down the grid today. But for me, Science just gets it. Driver of the day, Harry. Yeah, but it sounds like there's quite a few options here. Um, agree with Signs. Perez, obviously, another one. Um, but I... Oh, and Gasly, too. He was one of the only ones who did a, a one-stop, um, which was impressive. He was kind of saved by the safety car at the end there, but, you know, got to be in it to win it. Um, but I will go for... I'll punt for Norris, because I thought he was pretty impressive today. But, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of good performances out there. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um yeah, Hamilton was brilliant, start to finish. Couldn't really learn a better job, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, both of the McLarens deserve credit. Perez deserves credit as well. I'm going to agree with Sam. I'll give it to Carlos Sainz. You know, starting P15, he had uh, he had a tall order to get in and amongst the two Renaults and also his teammate, which he successfully did. Um, and, and also, we saw that a lot of talk was to do with tyres before the race and indeed during the race uh, and how durable they would be. Plenty of two stops, some three stops going on out there, um, which is very rare for a for a race in 2020. But we saw that Carlos Sainz, he did an exceptional job on that first stint on those soft tyres. You know, People were expecting that those soft tyres would not be anything to race with. Like Everyone avoided the soft tyre in Q2. They all wanted to start on the medium tyres. They didn't want to touch the soft tyres. Carlos Sainz deciding at a position P15 that he would start on that tyre. He did a brilliant job. He went out there longer than most of the guys who started on the medium tyre and kept that pace. So when he came out after his first pit stop, he was only just behind the two Renaults. And ultimately with the tyre advantage at that point, he made it count. Some good overtakes out there as well. I thought Carlos Sainz was brilliant. So I'll give him driver of the day. Worst driver of the day, Sam. Um, and this one is actually trickier than uh, best driver of the day or driver of the day. Um, there's a lot of drivers that had very average drives. There's a lot of drivers that had very good drives. There weren't so many drivers that I thought were actually not great at all today. Um, Albon was one of them. He's not going to get it for me, but again, I do think he really lucks into that one. I can't also <laughs> give it to Valtteri Bottas either. Uh, Bottas, who I'm starting to think might be one of the unluckiest men in Formula 1 at this point, is is not having a good time of it. Poor Bottas. Um, but we're going to get onto him in more detail later on in the in the, uh, the podcast. So if you're watching this on YouTube, by the way, full version on the podcast, go check it out, Spotify. Um, so I'm going to give it to Sebastian Vettel. Now, Semi Vett is clearly not happy in that Ferrari. And it was interesting to hear the complaints coming out of the uh, the car to, over the radio. You know, the clone only hit me where you know, he's not leaving the space. All of the time you have to leave the space. And he doesn't mm. think the Claire did. And nearly repeating of Austria, which he obviously didn't like either because he was about six feet in the air at one point in Austria. Um, he also said at one point that the car is undrivable and completely different to practice and qualifying, which is interesting. Firstly, because in qualifying, he didn't do great anyway. So it can't have been that good. And secondly, he clearly felt relatively comfortable because it was Leclerc and neck and neck for the early part of the race weekend. And when it actually got to the race, he was nowhere. But I also think that it's a driver like Sebastian Vettel that needs to be able to turn around a car that's struggling. He has the ability and the experience and should be able to show that I can pull a result out of a car that is not doing well. This is what a lot of people ask of Lewis Hamilton, isn't it? You know, oh, he's always done it in the best car. Well, actually, go look at the early 2012-2011 region where McLaren weren't the best car. He did pull performances out of it. And they're asking the same of of Vettel now and a struggling Ferrari. Leclerc is able to do this. Didn't have a great race today, don't get me wrong. But he still did better than Vettel. And I think Vettel was, unfortunately, quite poor. So for me, Vettel does get worse driver of the day. Who have you got, Harry? Um, I, I Sorry, I, I laughed because I liked it that Sam was really struggling at first because he couldn't give it to the two people he'd like to give worse <laughs> driver of the day to. I can't give it to Albon. Oh, I can't damn. give it to Bottas. <laughs> what, what do I do? <laughs> what do, I do? There's other bad drivers. <laughs> um, I don't think either of them are bad. Okay, they're fine. <laughs> I would, I would probably actually agree with Sam. Um, Vettel was wasn't great today. Um, I think he was just really rattled after at, at the restart. Um, he was, as we said, he was annoyed at Leclerc. I mean, it was 
Leclerc came from a, a, a fair way back, and you know it could have gone wrong, um, but it, it kind of worked. Uh, it, it was kind of I don't know. I just think Seb was just kind of rattled by the Grosjean incident. You know, we heard Ted saying that he was just stood watching the TV screens and replaying the incident. Um, Seb and Grosjean are kind of good friends at similar age. Both have children, families, etc. Um, yeah, and and after he got off the first set of tires, his pace wasn't too bad. You know, in comparison to Leclerc. Yeah, that first stint, he absolutely dropped like a stone. Um, and I think it just got in his head. And he also had to deal with the flipping. And when I say flipping, I mean rolling um, Lance Stroll car in the way as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll give it to him. Um, but I think that's, a, yeah, I think it was just completely shaken up, which, you know, maybe it's, it's uh, something he needs to deal with himself in terms of, or, you know, look at himself, whether carrying on F1 is for him. But um, I just got that impression that he was shaken up after the after the crazy start we had to the race. Yeah, I I find myself in a similar position to what you said somewhere. I don't actually think there were many poor performances out there. I I'll I'll, I'll give it to Kimi Raikkonen, but I think there are a few contenders that weren't all that bad, if that makes sense. Um yeah, Kimi Raikkonen, I know he was nearly put in the the pit wall by Antonio Giovinazzi, um, which came out after the race, um, which potentially means this needs to be reviewed. But um, I'll give it to Raikkonen. He, he didn't seem to have the pace. He wasn't there in qualifying. Giovinazzi was quicker. Uh, very nearly escaped Q1 did Giovinazzi and Raikkonen didn't uh, look like he was going to do the same. Uh, and in the race, it seems if Giovinazzi just had the legs on him all, all weekend, which, um, yeah, it's a shame. But I'll give it to Kimi. Moment of the race, Harry. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, moment of the race. I mean, there's obviously one that springs to mind, but I don't know whether I want to give it to that because it was just horrendous. Um, what should I give moment to the race to? I don't know. I can't think past. I can't think past Ramy G, which is just horrid. But um, you know, it's going to be the. And then not anything to be honest, anything that happened after lap one will not go down in history, will it? We're not going to remember what happened in a few years' time, so it's going to have to be the uh, it's going to have to be the crash with Grosjean. Sam, what do you reckon? Um, I mean, I have to agree that Harry's right. That is going to be the most memorable moment, possibly of the F one season. Um, Hamilton winning a seven time world, cha- you know, a seven time world champion, Romy G surviving what is one of the most horrific crashes we've ever seen. So I'm, I'm not going to give it to that because I want to try and be positive. I want to look past it. There was a risk of the race. Um, and we've said how, you know, utterly astonishing that whole process was. So my moment of the race was uh, a disgruntled Martin Brundle um, <laughs> talking about how he'd like a cup of tea. And Simon Lazenby, like the little lackey boy he is, clearly sprinted across Bahrain with a thimble of black tea trying to pour some milk in. And Martin Brundle then looking down and going, it's a bit naff, but at least I've got a tea. So cheers. I quite enjoyed how ridiculous that whole process was. Um, Crofty had to ruin it, of course. Uh, but the Martin Brundle and Simon's interaction there, it put a little smile on my face. It was fun. It was a bit different. I like it. So for me, moment of the race. That's the kind of commentary that I think, A, we appreciate, and B, we do ourselves. So- yeah, 100%. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. I completely forgot about tea gate and lesson learned. You know, if it ever comes to that, never ask Simon Lazy me for a cup of tea. I don't even drink tea. I ask him regularly, so you know, I'll keep that in mind. Okay, duly noted. Duly noted. <laughs> um, my moment of the race, I'm going to go for uh, not not the incident itself involving Roman Grosjean, but I'll give it to the moment when. All of the paddock were were watching the screens anxiously um, and he appeared on the screen for the first time and there was just a round of applause in the paddock, which I thought was a wonderful moment. Um, you know, like we said earlier on, there are so many incidents in Formula One where the teams are not aligned uh, and they're all trying to pull for regulations that will suit their cars and their teams and, you know, budgets and, and salaries. Everything seems to be a contentious debate in Formula One, but there are these odd occasions where the whole paddock is completely and utterly aligned and this was one of those moments so i'll give it to that so with that let's move on to danny kvyat danny kvyat had something of an eventful race 
he was involved in a few things. Um, so, of course, he was the car that made contact with Roman Grosjean. No fault of Kvyat, I should note, uh, at this point. Um, yeah, he was involved in the, the Roman Grosjean incident on lap one. Uh, but then on the second restart, he was involved in another incident, which involved Lance Stroll. Uh, most specifically, it involved Lance Stroll flipping over completely. Lance Stroll was out of the race at that point. Danny Kvyat was landed with a 10-second time penalty. Harry, do you think this was about right? Do you think it was too harsh or maybe too lenient? Um, see, okay, this I'm struggling with this one because I think at that point I was still, I think I was a bit dazed. I know we'd had an hour and a half, but I was still a bit dazed and I don't really remember seeing a replay of it. But from <laughs> from what I can remember, I think it was, I don't know. I don't know whether he's tricky on lap one. And from what I can remember, it was kind of side by side. I can't remember if Kvyat lunged. Please remind me if he did or not. He did. Half oh, he did lunge, maybe. Half lunge, okay. He, he complacently went for a move and then kind of suddenly backed out of it, but it was a bit late. Okay. I think potentially the penalty is uh, it, it, a reflection on, 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 on the result of the accident, i.e. the stroll rolled over. Because um, we've seen other instances like that on lap one. If he'd just been spun around or something... You know, it might have been a five. Um, I don't know. Is it harsh? No, I'll go in. No, I I said I texted you both. Uh, it wasn't his fault the first one. I don't think with Grosjean at all. Um, but we, he just needed to be taken off the track. Liability all round. Don't know what was going on with Kvyat today. He's uh, he's bad omen. So sorry about that. Sorry about that, Daniel. <laughs> what do you say, Sam? Ten seconds, um, right? I think this is a classic case of. Uh, the stewards, once again, looking at the aftermath of the incident and how severe it is rather than the incident itself. Um, we've seen so many incidents this season, almost an unprecedented amount of front left tyre hitting rear right tyre cars having some kind of spin-off moment. You know, I can already think about Russia. We had the one with Leclerc involved. We've had a- Alex Albon and Hamilton um, and there's a couple of others in there as well that I've already forgotten. But I don't think any of them got 10 seconds. I think they got five. Um, and I think Harry was right in the fact that because the car is upside down, it makes it look so much more drastic than it is. I mean, it's still unpleasant to watch, but the crash itself is the same. Unfortunately, Stroll decided that he wanted to do a roly-poly in his car rather than just go a little bit wayward and have to correct a half spin or something. Um and I think stewards need to almost write down a rule book of if contact is A, penalty equals B. Not if contact equals A and car spins around, penalty is B. But if car is upside down and it looks dramatic, penalty is M. You know, it's like, where are you going with these ridiculous decisions that you're making? I think 10 seconds is harsh in comparison to all the other ones that we've had. But if all the other ones we've had this season got 10 second penalties... I go, completely fair. It's the same as everyone else's. It makes sense. If that's what they want as a 10-second penalty, because arguably Stroll cannot race, he's lost points, he's lost opportunities. 10 seconds on the aggressor, so to speak, is fair, fine. But on the other hand, everyone else before the season only got five. And if that's what they're going to do, you need to match that. It's not about the aftermath of the crash. It's about the crash itself and the actions taken. You're meant to penalise the actions taken. And um, if anything... This one was a lot slower and just a bit clumsier than some of the other ones we've seen uh, previously in the season. So I think it's harsh in comparison to the previous ones in the season. Do I think it's an actual harsh penalty? Not really. No, he did end someone's race. Um, and like I said, if all the other ones in the season got 10 seconds, I'd have been completely on board with it. But as Harry said, Kvyat was not having a good day today. So um, <laughs> hopefully better off next week. We'll see. Penalty M. That sounds like Ferrari <laughs> have got something to do with this. Honestly. <laughs> Strategy... D7M minus four, as Leclerc was probably on today. Um, Is that my year 11 algebra homework? (laughs) Quite possibly, it sounds like it. Um, Yeah, I I disagree for the same reasons that you disagree, Sam. Um, And I won't really spend any time on it because I'd essentially be repeating exactly what you said in terms of consequence and and how that should affect or shouldn't affect uh, penalties that are given out. Um, what I will say is this, and I know this happened for facts, don't dispute this. 
The FIA actually went to Jackie Stewart before this race, interestingly, um, and they said to him, look, we really like your tartan caps. Can we have one? <laughs> <laughs> actually happened. And, and Jackie, you know, he's a cool guy. He's like, yeah, sure. Go on, take one. Um, yeah, sure. Take and my the, cap. the reason they wanted one was not actually to wear it because what they like to do is actually use it as the place where they put little, uh, you know, pieces of paper that have the amount of time penalty that they should apply. What they do is they saw the Kvyat incident and they went, all right, time to go into the lucky dip, which is, of course, in this incident, Jackie Stewart's cap. And they pulled out a 10 second penalty. That was how they came to that decision. That is actual fact. Um, look, <laughs> apparently... Oh, the lucky cap! <laughs> Cast your minds back to Russia. Do you remember the, uh, again, Lance Stroll incident, but with Charles Leclerc on lap one, where Charles Leclerc had a had a punt and got nothing for it? And then you can cast your minds back to the incident involving Hamilton and Albon, where that one was deemed to be five seconds. Uh, and now we're casting our minds back to this race, uh, and that one was apparently 10 seconds. If someone could please explain to me where those three incidents differ and what main what makes one of them more than the other please do let me know because i cannot for the life of me work it out i i thought it was i thought it was harsh but harsh because that they haven't applied that penalty for the same incident in other races if you're going to give 5 seconds for punting someone off track give 5 seconds here i don't get it um, I, well, I think I would um, Sorry, be very yeah. interested to hear what the penalty given was when it happened to Hulkenberg, actually, in Abu Dhabi. Because I don't know, but I wonder if the penalty was similar. Because obviously that's the last time we kind of saw someone hanging like a cow, to uh, paraphrase. <laughs> yes. Yeah, thank you for that, Nico. That phrase will live on. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really understand how they came to this decision. I think Kvyat... I don't even think the incident was that bad, really. I know Kvyat, it was a... It wasn't a full-on lunge. It wasn't a Valtteri Bottas into Lewis Hamilton, as you brought up on last week's podcast, Sam. It was it was much more dignified than that. He had half a chance at it. Um, it was a half lunge, I would say, but not a full-on lunge. So, yeah, I think 10 seconds was harsh just based on the precedent that they put in place. Classic stewards. Don't have a change. Or do. Che- Who knows? Cheers, stewards. Cheers. Pick that one out of the hat. <laughs> So we'll we'll move on to uh, we'll leave we'll leave it with the final topic today is Valtteri Bottas because Valtteri Bottas are uh, not the best race of his season. Got debris uh, early on in the Grand Prix. Had to pit very early on. I think he dropped down to P16. Made progress back through the field enough to finish P9 at the flag. Probably a good thing that he had a safety car come out though because he picked up debris again somehow. Someone buy this guy some luck. Harry, do you think that Bottas made enough progress in the Grand Prix? Uh, yeah, I mean, that man, this, you know, someone is watching over Roman Grosjean today. You know, uh, there's someone watching over Valtteri Bottas and just giving him bad luck all the time. He, uh, he, uh, he put, if it had been Hamilton, Hamilton probably would have made more progress, in which case he'd say Bottas should have made more progress. But I got the feeling that he was absolute. He's just done with this season. You saw it in Turkey when he was like, how many laps left? Because he was done with that race. And yeah, today it, it was compounded, but it was his own fault. He had a terrible start, I think, in the, in the, in the first start. Um, he was kind of, I don't get, answer if you know the answer to this, either of you, or people listening, what? How did he gain a place when we started again? So the restart was um, the places were counted back, not from going up the hill towards turn four, but from the safety car two line, which is situated at the end of the pit lane. So Bottas had dropped obviously back ah. off the front of the grid by that point, but after crossing the line, he was only fourth, not sixth. So he actually ended up gaining two places. Okay, well, he was okay, slightly lucky in that sense, but yeah, um, he he probably should have made more places up. But they pointed out out in commentary that the Mercedes isn't particularly good at being in traffic. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think if it had been Hamilton, he'd have he'd have made more places up. I just think 
Bottas is ready for 2020 to be over and he's working on his plan for 2021 to... Uh... He's got a plan! It's going to happen! <laughs> oh, dear. To win the championship. Um, yeah, it was, he's just an unfortunate race. But yeah, I think he probably could, could have done more. But the two punctures did not help progress, if we're being honest. No, they didn't exactly help, did they? Um, <laughs> Sam, do you think he needed to make more positions up? Well, talking of Bottas's bad luck, uh, there's actually in, uh, the interview after the race, he was asked about his bad luck and he joked about how there was a uh, a black cat hanging around his apartment uh, back at home. And obviously, you know, black cats, black cats are a bad omen. You know, they're regularly seen as, you know, you've got bad luck. And he, he kind of said to the interviewer, um, like he'd been feeding it. And there's a quote going around that, you know, he can promise you that he'll not be feeding that cat anymore. So there's going to be a starving cat in Monaco if anyone's interested. But at the same time, it means that Bottas will now win the 2021 World Championship. That was clearly the only thing stopping him. The man is a debris magnet. I've never seen someone pick up more debris, especially in a title fight. He had a Ferrari actual road car lodged in the side of his car going around Imola. It's like someone had just parked it in his barge board. Before that, he's picked up punctures and then he's had the unlucky power unit failure, the only one of the whole season between the both of them. The guy is just so unlucky. Um, The only one I maybe wouldn't say is unlucky is the Silverstone puncture where that came down to tyre wear capabilities. Come on, not this again. (laughs) It makes a difference. You're blind if you don't see it. Um, but I mean, again, you know, that could be, that could be down a luck. It isn't, but it could be. The guy is incredibly unlucky and you could see it in him. I think this race that he was a bit like, what is the point? It's not like I've got a championship to save anymore. Maybe I'll just lull Lewis into a false sense of security. So when he strolls into Melbourne, you know, proper, like what's that MMA article, the Irish one, where he does that really big, silly walk. Um, Conor McGregor. That's it, Conor McGregor, Lewis Hamilton as Conor McGregor, strolling in, limbs flailing. It's me, Lewis, I've come to win again. Bottas is going to be like, ah, he doesn't think I'm good enough. I've got debris all over my car. He's going to blow it off. And he goes, right, I'm having you now. And I think Bottas is going to take the fight to him. But I, I can understand why he wasn't bothered. I don't think he made up enough progress. Um, I think there was a mix of bad luck that the safety car came out, but also good luck that... Because he had a puncture, he probably would have got more places had his tire not gone again. Um, oh, it was just a mess for Bottas, and I think that the guy needs to get out of this season, have a bit of a break. Because Hamilton is a if he wins the next few races, matches the record for wins in one season, and is currently on his pretty much his strongest streak since what 2013 or 2014 uh, in terms of wins. It's five in a row for Hamilton now. So I think Bottas should have done more, but Bottas also had a lot of bad luck in this race that stopped him from doing so. It was interesting to see that also the. Um, the Mercedes can't follow again. It's very clear that even behind Reichen with a broken front wing, Bottas was struggling to get through. So shows that Mercedes create the car still for absolute dominance and not for having to cut its way through any traffic. And I think that, with a demotivated Bottas, meant that he can only get so far. So tough one for Valtteri. Uh, a lot of it not his own fault, I think. Yeah, I think ultimately he would have made a lot more progress if he could pick these drivers off one by one. The, the problem is, and and like you've mentioned, this Mercedes is not designed to work in traffic. And it makes complete sense. They know that they can build a car that is outright quick enough to be ahead of 90% of the field. So why would they focus so much on on it being able to follow in traffic so I, I do have sympathy for Bottas and obviously the situation itself there was nothing he could do uh, and it's it's a massive shame that it happened when it did if it happens halfway through the Grand Prix or if it happens three quarters of the way through the Grand Prix the likelihood is he would have dropped from let's just say he was in P3 maybe to P4 yeah I, I don't think it would have really mattered much at all after those gaps had materialized but because it happened at that point in the Grand Prix it meant that he had to overtake a, a large amount of cars who all had DRS on one another. Uh, and that seemed to be the struggle for him. If he was able to, like I say, if he was able to, you know, pick off Raikkonen and then Giovinazzi, then Vettel and, and do it one at a time, I think he'd have had a lot more success. Should he have got a few more positions? Yeah, probably. I think Hamilton would have done a slightly better job. We, we saw what Hamilton did at Monza this year and he, he did a very good job there in going back through the field. But yeah, I, I don't I don't have a lot in the way of criticism for Bottas. I think he did a reasonable job. It, it wasn't an easy one out there. But yeah, I, I think probably realistically, one or two more positions could have been achieved. 
Well, I think we'll leave that podcast here. Uh, obviously, a highly emotional one. We'll be back on Thursday for the podcast for the second Grand Prix in Bahrain, the Sakia Grand Prix on the Outer Loop. Notice I'm not calling it Oval um, Grand Prix, <laughs> the penultimate race of the season. Sam, if you wouldn't mind for this Grand Prix getting us out of here. Folks, it's been a wild one. Um, thank you for sticking with us through this uh, long podcast of ours. Um, if you've enjoyed it, come chat to us on Twitter at Breaking Again, Late Breaking on Instagram as well. Join us. YouTube videos going out. We've got a silly one coming very soon where we play Formula One drunk when we're all together. That was just ridiculous. But if you want a bit of a laugh and to laugh at us, which we all know like, everyone likes to do, then please get over there and give that a watch. It's coming out very soon. Um, Please join us again later on in the week for the preview of the, the Sakia Grand Prix. And, uh, of course, we'll be here for the rest of the season and well into the winter break for much more. Uh, in the meantime, I've been Sandy Sage. I've been Ben Hawking. And I've been Harry Each. And remember, keep breaking late. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.